0: you are listening to the evolution exchange podcast a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in australia i'm shauna i help connect tech companies with top tech talent and today i'm your host Welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Australian technology industry where we're going to discuss the topic of how to scale your startup. Um, And we're going to cover areas such as choosing the right technology, team design, hiring managers, cultivating the culture of ownership, and much more. Um, So I think it'd be brilliant if we could start off before we jump into our full discussion and introduce our awesome panelists. And I'm looking at Karen. Tell, take, Thanks, take it off Shauna. and tell us about yourself. No worries. Hi,
1: everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. And, and Shauna, thank you for uh, inviting me onto your show. Um, I love getting together with fellow leaders in the engineering space to share war stories and lessons learned. Uh, by, my name is Khan. I'm the CTO at Homin. Uh, we are a scale-up in the X15 Ventures family at CBA, Um, My background, I came out of a classical violin um, and software engineering uh, double degree at Sydney Uni in 2002. Um, I spent about 15 years doing lots of different kinds of full stack uh, work in different kinds of organizations, startups, I started my own things um scale-ups enterprise and then about 10 years ago I moved into engineering leadership engineering management and I'm I'm loving that space um so keen to share some thoughts on that uh in in our chat today thank you sure
0: awesome thank you so much Corinne. it's lovely to have you back on another podcast um Ethan tell us about yourself Hi, <laughs> hey, well, uh,
2: my name is Ethan. Um, I'm the head of technology for uh, a venture called Credit Savvy. Um, i started my career as a, as a software engineer. Um, I started as, I guess, a, a junior. Uh, I moved on to, to being a, a specialist front-end developer. Uh, and then I moved on to being the um, cloud infrastructure developer as well. Um, and then, uh, after a, a few job changes, I ended up in the CBA innovation lab as the blockchain uh, engineer in the the lab there. Um, uh, eventually we, we morphed into, to X15 ventures there. Uh, and I've been, um, around the block in quite a lot of different ventures under X15 and I've found my home here in Credit Savvy finally.
0: Amazing. Um, that is an excellent career. A bit of everything, Ethan. <laughs> Good on <laughs> you. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Um, and last but absolutely not least, um, Will, tell us about yourself.
3: Thanks, Shauna. And yeah, thank you for having me on the show as well. Uh, my background in, in technology I was a principal engineer for uh, which is a hotel and tourism uh, startup that went to become a scale up and, and IPO'd uh, about, about two years ago now um after a whirlwind of ups downs and then finally a bunch of success right at the end um uh outside of that i actually this is such a small world i think we need to acknowledge that i used to work with ethan at x15 ventures um which khan's khan's uh scale up is also a part of as well now um, which is just such a, a small world i love that we've all managed to get together on this without even planning <laughs> that um, <laughs> um <laughs> in, in present days uh I am CEO and founder at adviro uh viro is an EV startup we exist for electric vehicles in reach of all Australians uh the, the, honestly this all came from um quite a lot of purpose and I think this is an important thing and I think from reading some of the topics that we're, we're all here to talk about today I think a lot of that can come back to tech as well Um but I myself, uh, I was a, a volunteer firefighter during the time I was at actually at X15, uh, and also previously at Sign minder. I saw firsthand the the effects of climate change uh, and how that played its role uh, in in what we're doing to the earth. And I wanted to do something positive uh, to get against that. And so uh, I started Vira, put together uh, my skills uh, and wanted to put them into a good way, and then. I think, um, I think the other side of that is just, um, on a personal, as, as an engineer, I think you, I think we can probably all relate to this. However, there's a tendency to be get pigeonholed as just a code monkey. And I, I hate that. <laughs> I think that it's really disappointing that anyone can do that. And, uh, so a big part of why, why I do what I do is because I just did not want to do, it. I wanted to do everything from sales to, to everything.
0: Awesome, amazing story there Will. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to hearing more about Viro as well. Um, really great, great panellists here today guys. Um, so I think then what we can do is we can jump straight in to our subtopics um, and look just to reiterate we're here to talk about how to scale your startup today um, and the panellists have brought some incredible um talking points. The first talking point I think that stood out to me and a couple of you guys had brought the same one. I think it makes sense to start up as sort of like how to build before you scale. Um and that kind of comes into choosing the right technology. Um and Will, do you want to tell us a bit about about that from your point of view? We'll start there.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. This is a really uh, like out of all of what we wanted to talk about today, I actually really wanted to bring this up because I think it yeah. is very easy. Um when when you're starting out and and a lot of people never get past the point of just starting out uh, unfortunately um and, and that that is why don't over it just get choose this tech that, that you know well have an mvp mindset and i mean what this means is everything that you do you just just do what's right imagine that you're goldilocks and you're trying to choose the right bed don't choose the one that is really, really fancy. And is going to be the best thing in 30 years time. Start off where you just need to be. And, and we have ingrained this mindset into our business since day one. It's not only just for our team and what else that we do, but we actually, we build this into everything we do. We share this with our clients. Start really bare bones, strip it down to just what you need to do and and use that when you build, build out before you scale. I think that's essential. Um, just got to crawl before you walk. That's what I'm trying to get out there.
0: Awesome, that's a really good point. Um, I know I th- I, you can hear a lot of startups that, that just throw everything at the actual tech, um, uh, you know, straight away. But I'd love to hear uh, Karen your thoughts on that one.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I will. That's a great point. <laughs> and, by the way, I was just googling Byron whilst you were chatting, and I, I don't have an EV or electric vehicle. Behind. I'm we can curious. Help yeah, it sounds like you got a plan, so I'll sign up. Um, and to your point about don't overcomplicate it, I really love that. Um, and another another kind of thing I thought off the back of what you were saying is <clears throat> don't solve every problem. Uh, solve your niche intellectual property. Uh, don't solve marketing automation. If you're not a marketing automation company. Um, 100%. Uh, and another thing you said um, that I thought map a little bit maps to it is also uh, hiring the right people who have an appetite for generalization or cross-skilling onto the critical path. Um, maybe one other thing I want to sneak in here is I, I've seen a couple of times, this is a tech stack specific issue, where people add new programming languages that aren't already kind of warm in the Mm. organization and then the consequence of it is, you know, they might leave or you might bolster those two languages and then you end up with knowledge silos consequently because some people may not be comfortable working across multiple languages on a given day. Anyway, lots to unpack there, but I think that's another way to not overcomplicate it. Like maybe it helps if there's only a small crew of Mm. us. Let's all think the same language so we can do things quickly and keep it simple. Um, Yeah, thanks. Absolutely.
0: I know, Ethan, this is something you've specifically said that you're very passionate about, um, is choosing the right technology for scale. So tell us about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's probably a few different sort of categorizations when you say technology. Um, mm. I mean, there's obviously languages that are very important, and especially when you're talking about trying to scale this thing up. So we are got to hire for a whole yeah. bunch of people. You probably don't want to you know, pick some esoteric language that, you know a handful of people understand it's super performant works really well on like you know a server but nobody can contribute to the code base that's that's a completely useless um piece of software to to write um so like i don't really have a lot of strong opinions there i think you should build to what people are comfortable building with um what everybody sort of understands and is and um, and can work really productively with there are certain choices like you should be on cloud if you're going to do if you're going to scale I think unless you have a very specific use case you shouldn't really be running your own service um, it's just way too much overhead and you can save on having you know some guy doing backups and pulling them off-site and doing all of that sort of operational overhead is just delegated to the the cloud service Um I'm pretty agnostic about clouds. I, I've used Google in production. I've used Azure in production. I've used AWS in production. I love working with AWS personally, but I, I really don't think it matters that much. It's 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 whatever. Um, again, it, it sort of comes back to that coding choice. Whatever people are comfortable with is the best um, the best choice to make there.
0: Brilliant. Would you ever suggest having like multiple, like different cloud services so you can kind of hedge off the costs? Is that, I heard a couple of companies uh, just doing that, so then can kind of compete a little bit to reduce the costs. Mul-
2: <laughs> the multi cloud solution, I think, is something for when you are a gigantic enterprise and you okay. need to de risk that um, scenario. I just, mm. I do not see any value within at least 10, 15 years uh, of needing to do, to, to To go down the path of a, a multi cloud solution it just doesn't
3: doesn't make sense. Yeah. Very interesting. I completely back that as well. I think just
2: <laughs> echoing what
3: you just said there, Ethan. Find what the majority of the team want to do, <laughs> and they can't with it, and they're going to move the fastest with it, and just go with that, and just and okay. just nail that decision down, and move on to the next thing.
0: Brilliant. I know, Will. You did mention that you know you kind of want to choose the right tech that will allow you to test and iterate quickly. Is that what you what you mean by that?
3: yeah yeah i think um uh yes yes but i also think that there's there's part of this which is um you you need to isolate the things that need to change constantly and i mean really constantly especially early on um and then have the things that are difficult to change uh or a, a bit more critical and and have them separate. and what i mean by this is that just practically speaking VIRO um or a consumer focused brand first and foremost and so our front end needs to be able to change really really quickly a lot of our back end is actually pretty straightforward and simple and it does change but it's nowhere near the same kind of pace when we were first starting out our front end would have multiple production releases in the same day our back end would have maybe once maybe once a week and even that's fast but if you do that what you can do is you can really de-risk and move very fast and iterate quickly on certain areas um, whilst allowing the things that are a bit trickier, a bit harder to change uh, more prob- problematic to to sit there and, and, and just be in a bit of a safer space
0: Awesome, thank you. I'm sorry, Karen you're waving your hand there um, Yeah, tell yeah. Us I, I, could... I,
1: I, I was going to one on the <laughs> AWS thing and I was thinking about tech stacks that are attractive and fun um, What's biro on? I wanted to ask Will, what's
3: biro on? Yeah, yeah um, so pretty much javascript or typescript from front to back so our front end is written in react um, on typescript our back end is aws um, all of its aws aws lambdas with a graphql api and a postgres database off the back of that there's other bits but yeah. in a nutshell of JavaScript whole
1: yes yeah, so, and that, that's exactly everything you just said there is exactly the same as home in and i think there's sort of like yep. <laughs> when you when you publish a job ad and you're looking for talent yeah there's some stuff yep. about the stack that's going to attract a certain kind of that candidate and the things the, the kinds of things you just said map to that kind of um person so yeah that's another key to, to scale yeah
3: that is a really good point and i think um that's probably just a grain of salt that needs to be taken with some of the things, some of the stuff that we said earlier in there. Um, you know, if you have a team of engineers who are going to go really fast riding in PHP, for example, there are some downsides that are going to come from that in two or three years' time when you need to go and double the size of that team. Um, mm-hmm. Shauna would know this well. Um, So, <laughs> um, I think that, yeah, there is definitely a piece there and um and look you do need to take that into to, into account as you get into it but there is a point in time where where the tech choices that you have you've either got to raise money and rewrite them uh with a new team uh that's going to grow grow into them, uh, where you need to evolve them and um evolving is easier uh, especially mm. if you can hire the same type of people
0: yeah it's it's that's exactly it's it's the word scale isn't it is like kind of where the whole evolution yeah, exactly. becomes. And another really good point that all three of you have brought up is is very much, you know, choosing the right technology that leads it into being able to build out the team and get a right skill balance in the team. Um <clears throat> Ethan, this is something you said, find the right balance in your team skills. Um let's talk about that after you kind of establish the technology stack. Um and your first kind of points of what to build fast. What happens then when you go to kind of d- dive into creating the, the teams and and building out the skills?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's it's not it's probably the least straightforward part of the yeah. whole process is is to do this because you you don't have a lot of time to understand how someone's going to work within a team before you, you know, you have to make a decision whether you're hiring them or not. Um, you have to be mm-hmm. respectful of people's time as well. You can't just, you know, bring them on for three, four weeks and then just go, no, nah, you're not working out. Sorry, see you later. Yeah. But, you know, you you, you do need to vet skills and make sure that, um, that the skills are appropriate. You're probably not going to want to hire three back-end devs um, for your entire team and then um, all of a sudden nobody knows how to do the the front end um, yeah they're, they're, they're pretty obvious choices um to to make at that point in time but i, I guess the the idea is you, you you sort of have to measure the team over time measure how um how well they're they're working with each other um, and how independently they they're working inside of the organization as well Um, So things like, um, and I'll talk about this later, the the cultivating that culture of ownership. You need people who, um, uh, I guess, uh, it's what Khan was referring to earlier, where um, people are more willing to learn and people are more interested in in learning new things as opposed to someone who is a, a particular expert in one particular technology space. If you mm-hmm. go for those sort of people, then what ends up happening is they leave and you have this big hole that you need to fill with somebody quite quickly. Whereas if everyone across, everyone in the team has that that ownership model, they understand the whole stack, they understand the whole domain, if somebody leaves, it's actually quite easy to, to bring somebody in and skill them up. Um, and then the team's almost as productive as it was just before that person left.
0: Brilliant excellent point something that I do notice a lot is um you know if, if I've brought into a company to say okay we've got like five roles to fill and I always advise kind of take one role at a time because the first person that you find you know they might actually spill into more of like you know back end but can do the DevOps as well so do you really need like a separate SRE person if you build the skills around people that can do this they're there and then you might even have someone then you know who's full stack but more front end passionate more passionate by the front end champions that it's kind of like you need to build fast but it's like take your time as well let the dust settle and see where where they kind of take ownership and then you build out based on that Um, I do see companies that have scales in terms of the teams and the people too fast. And it's kind of like, like you said, way too back and heavy then. And no Mm. one's really copped up. Like, actually, none of these guys would really want to do front end. Or, you know, no one really builds pipelines. Or, you know, none of them really want to champion the infrastructure as code. So it's kind of, it is really important. The balance when you're doing that is so key. Um, What what do you guys think?
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean...
3: Sorry, go Go
2: for it. No reason. You go for it. Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's a lot of situations that I've been in where, you know, we sort of shoehorn one particular person in the team because they're like a good front end engineer and the whole rest of the teams are, are all back end. And that sort of works great on the surface, but you still need to sort of cross pollinate those skills. That that person who's situated in there as a specialist needs to, you know, be mentoring and coaching the rest of the team to get through um, that work. They should be um, they should be experts in the space, but not the only one building front end. Right? If uh, if the rest of the engineers are not happy to to touch front end, then that's a really terrible situation um, for scale because then. You're just going to have a, a, a massive blocker in, in that particular space. Yeah.
3: I think mean, that's yeah. really 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 valid. I think um I think a lot of this comes down to your culture and values as as a company and how you reflect that into hiring Absolutely. your day to day it's um I think at the core of it is that uh, and this is this is one of ours, it was um the there's never an excuse that that's not my job and um, that that should be taken as absolutely a yeah. part kitchen yeah but but also as a as an important piece of just um personal development uh, if you don't know the front end well you should absolutely be trying to upskill and um yeah you, know, you want to be hiring people who have that mindset i
0: think definitely homing in on the word ownership and cultivating a culture of ownership like if you hire engineers with that mindset and you know that like you're building end to end and everyone's responsible you know for what they're building and you know that you kind of create an environment where people do know they're coming in you will be wearing multiple hats um you know like you will jump in and do some you know testing or automation testing or you will be pushed into you know write something in the front end but it's about how you how you hire and the culture that you create and then creating the balance of making sure you get those people it's so important isn't it for scale up um and there's not a whole lot of people like that really yeah um very critical um the other thing i was going to look at here is karen you were saying enabling new starters as you expand so early round engineers typically don't enjoy scale up life Talk to me about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have, I've got a whole bunch of different notes on that. I think I think one thing that I wanted to sidetrack down was what yeah. is a scale up, and yeah, fair. I think I was just thinking about some of the themes that we're discussing. I, I think the term scale up could might be worth clarifying. I think it's subjective. I don't, is it is it funding and runway? Is it customer acquisition? Is it team size? um at home in we have about 30 in product engineering the organization is about 60 in total at stash uh when i joined we we had i think i was number 30 they're now at about 450 i think atlassian has thousands of engineers cba has thousands of engineers what is a scale up um is it a mindset um i i don't think so i think i think I think there's prob there's three kinds of problems that people face at work. This is a very very oversimplified take on it, but basically I think there's like three vibes. There's either you're in startup land and you're five to 10 people and you're all over the place. You're a, yeah. if it's or you're scale up and you're maybe something like 10 to 300 people. Yeah. And that's a different challenge and I think that's I think that's what a scale-up is and then once you get over 300 you're in you're in enterprise world but so yeah to if if that's if that's what we mean by scale up 10 to 300 people and by the way i don't know is that all engineering or is that the whole company i don't know but anyways open 30 and 30 in engineering and that's that's a kind of challenge and to get back to your point there it's like enabling new starters like okay yeah so they we were a startup there were five people. Now we're 30 people. Whoa. Um and 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 um I think one of the challenges that happens is you start stacking people on a problem as you scale, yeah. radiating knowledge becomes a real headache. Um and one of the challenges here is is getting veterans to step away from the keyboard. Um that's a that's a challenge. Some solutions mm-hmm. for that might be pairing. Um, but the but the but the goal there is to scale the organization, and another way to put that is to scale their knowledge. Um, yeah it's another, very important. another two other quick points here um which is working on improving the onboarding experience. and um, you know if you're trying to add ten engineers to a group of twenty engineers, you can get that done in, I don't know maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. How do you make that work really well? And I think one thing we've kind of started doing is setting up a new start a treasure hunt at home in where you have to complete a hundred tasks. And um, that allows you to just go through the entire business. So it might be like buy a house or help somebody else buy a house or publish an invoice and like, I don't know, uh, deal with a customer complaint. And it's like all this stuff, and then at the end of it, you're like, oh, okay, okay. And and to get to this point, which is when you join, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and that's a really hard thing in a scale-up environment where a lot of new people are joining a group as it's growing. Um, and so what I, I, I'm also doing as at the moment is I'm giving people a domain awareness score. Like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Day one, I guess your domain of score awareness your domain awareness score is zero let's get it to 100 out of 100 okay so um, yeah. and, and, and so everyone like knows like oh there's a whole thing over there i'm not aware of cool i'll I'll need to deal with stakeholders over there and like pull them into refinement pull them into like bug bashing on stuff like that so um yeah building a bridge between veterans and new starters as you're going up Team size is is a real challenge and I find it really interesting working on that stuff.
0: It's very it's it's very important that it's something that is tackled as well, because if the veteran holds all the knowledge and one day they leave, it's like, you know, it can be quite detrimental. <laughs> um, but that's really interesting the way that you're doing it, Karen. I'd love to hear more about that. I think that's almost a podcast in itself. <laughs> um What's Will and Ethan's thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, no, that that is a a really important thing to note is that you i think when you said before being that kind of uh, what what is a scale up i think there's an important piece here, is that it is always a relative point of what am i scaling yeah. to next yeah take all take out the terminology <clears throat> and just go right on day one you you have uh, your mission is to get your first check through the door uh mate and and then as you grow as you grow you're always trying to prove or do something else and grow your business in a certain direction. Um, and, and the team around you and the technology around you needs to scale with that growth. Um, and that's where a lot of the, the concepts we were saying before around, this is probably a good segue as, the, as we start to get further into this, is that things like choose the right tech stack that um, you know and you can move quickly with, that absolutely changes there's a point in time where you, you've got to have more rigid um, approaches around this. And you've got to think about it in five or 10 years scope. When I was at Sidewinder, we went from being an an engineering team that was tiny. um, to we had, we, I think we were about a hundred people around the time that I wrapped up there and we had an objective to get to over 300. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and the, the the approach to what we were doing and how we do things changed dramatically. Um, Uh, and a lot of that, ultimately, it, it actually lent, eventually it became not really a matter of the tech and how well it scaled to solve a problem. Really, a lot of the tech that we had would have done it for even twice the size what we were. it was the people under the leak that, um, that are putting it together and how, how you can enable them to grow
2: uh, and, and do their best.
0: Mm, really interesting. Ethan, do you want to add anything to that?
2: And, uh... No, really. Like that's. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd echo those sentiments. I think, um I think it is very intimidating to come on board. Um, yeah. To to a to a very small company or or a very large company. Uh, I think if you're in that middle ground, it, it's it's actually a bit easier. You know, you you have that support network there, people who are already there. Um But you know, you you aren't expected to be that that little cog in the machine there as well so yeah it, it, if you if you're just starting out um i guess you need to be cognizant and aware that you want to move towards that um, that situation and if you're in that you know 10 to 300 phase you want to make sure you keep all of that good culture um that um people are comfortable walking into without helping yeah. anything
0: yeah exactly and <laughs> um, karen you put your hand up there you-
1: yeah, add, yeah. Things to to yeah, things to add. And I want to sneak in at some point, if we have to type something about hiring middle managers. But um, yeah. we'll get there maybe later. But, <laughs> uh, back to the question, what is a scale-up? Maybe another uh. angle here is a scale I think, and obviously this is another subjective opinion, is a scale-up has achieved a market fit and it now has confidence in its underlying our revenue model, and it has a runway of at least, I don't know, twelve months.
0: Maybe. Yeah,
1: um, I, I guess we could discuss that. And and I that maybe that's me just sharing an assumption about what I think a scale up is. But, um, but back to back to um, you know, as you go from ten to hundred in your team, how do you keep meeting small? And how do you keep decision flow momentum? And mm. there's a sort of painful process aversion experience where it's like, I remember when we were in a garage and we could just get all this stuff done today. What's with all these <laughs> goofy meetings and documentation yeah. and like stakeholder management and like approvals and blah, blah. And, <clears throat> and, and now we're at the, the, the beautiful horror show of process management and process over people and um (laughs) but what i what i say to that is like me trying to sell process it's like seatbelt is a process and i -hmm. don't think there's a difference seatbelt you wear a seatbelt when you get in a car that is a process but it's there for the people so it's great If, if you like people then you love process and um and an example of a process that kind of works in engineering that's kind of fun as well is this like rfc process you know i don't know where you know rather than create calling a meeting to say how are we gonna do this architecture decision instead you move that into an artifact that has you know like a template and it's like a question the problem statement and then the four options and then the trade-offs, the pros and cons of each one and then the outcomes and then like approval date and like, oh, okay. So that's like a really cool open source strategy, you know, cultural transparency way of doing a thing quickly and getting the best outcome and not having to have big meetings and and that's the sort of thing, that is a process, like a seatbelt that uh, can work when you have 30 people trying to figure out Right. um you know a technical problem
0: brilliant it's yeah i know what you mean like so you've kind of you, before you have the meeting you already have what you need to do like you went to the meeting, and say yep this is what we've outlined planned suggested and approved tick the box yeah that's yeah really and maybe, maybe to
1: add to that you're creating an environment where people feel like they can contribute asynchronously in a yeah. low stakes like high cognitive workspace um Mm -hmm. so lots to think about there in terms of scale-up process yeah before collaboration
0: definitely I think for scale-up like from me looking at it from a tech recruitment point of view like I never just go in and just assume like the company says oh we're a scale-up phase I'm like well what does that mean for you you know and I get so many different um answers to that um and like a lot of people just think okay someone's scaling it means that they're you know gonna hire loads of people but no it's like what exactly are you scaling at the moment like in that in that time in that absolute you know scenario they're probably they might be scaling out you know um like hypothetically speaking a piece of their platform that can scale up and scale down so they need to hire someone that can build for technology load and scale or they're scaling out the sales team to take on more customers because they've built the technology that can handle the load you know so it's like or they just genuinely are going to scale out the team to build and then to build software that will then bring more customers on board so it's trying to understand like each individual's company's version of scale and part of the journey that they're on I think that's really important. There's so many different versions of us. Um, and then you have like your big enterprise companies who have these little tiny little departments and those specific departments or platforms are building for scale as well. So it, the word scale kind of is everywhere. Um, but we're talking about, I suppose, startup, how to build your startup for scale. And like you were saying there, Karen, like that's a whole other kettle of fish because you're going from, yeah, working from the garage to being like, right, we'll do this today. That's it, done. Whereas then you're implementing processes and that's when things get tricky, <laughs> for sure. Um, I think the next thing I know, Will, you, you brought this up, which is really interesting. Um, keeping an MVP mindset as you scale. So how to prioritize what's important and what's not. And keeping momentum as you scale without losing value. And it's probably teeing yeah. in there to kern what you're talking about. But I think it's a really interesting point. Um, and Ethan as well, I think you've mentioned something similar, but I'd love to hear you all talk about that so keeping the mvp mindset as you scale
3: yeah yeah i so i i think that this is something that you you just never really want to lose at any point in time but it's so easy to lose and the way that you lose it yeah by forgetting what the purpose of that company is what is the yeah. purpose what is the mission what are you all there collectively there to do and and this is this is something that first and foremost it's, it's the responsibility of the leaders in that business to own, but but also to navigate this because that, that purpose and that ambition may very well change as you grow. If you're a small, tiny business, there are points in time where it can become really ambiguous. And when you've got a small team, that may be easy to manage. But as that team grows, it becomes difficult. And this relates back to what Carl was saying before. I, I really like the approach of I think uh along the lines of what you were suggesting there around um, establishing guilds that perhaps have um, an RFC mm. process and, and own a specific domain. When I was a Sideminer, we established a guild um set up with kind of some mixed bags of, of wins and losses. Uh, um early days, a lot of losses. We really got it wrong. Um uh we, we established guilds that were there was a back end guild. The back end guild was responsible for back end, but we were a platform with like like 10 different products in it and no one really had any real say or ownership um, around the back. End. <laughs> and it was kind of like, well, what does the back end guild What purpose does it actually sell? Uh, uh, serve? And, and what is it there for? And so as you, as you go through there was a really early point in time in your business where you decided, okay, I'm going to go off and I'm going to do this thing to solve this problem. And you built a lot of different things around that. Make sure that that, trickles down into everything else that you do and when you come down to it and you establish a guild don't make a back game guild because that's not going to work out too well but establish a guild of people who are responsible for something that directly relates to that problem and yeah. allow them and allow them that that kind of low stakes but, but high cognitive environment that you've suggested their can i think is great to be able to make actual actual meaningful decisions around tech and you essentially open source all of the tricky things away from those veteran engineers that are difficult to get away from a keyboard, um, have them sit back and and contribute to RFCs that are happening and allow for everyone in that specific domain to contribute to it. But but don't let them contribute to something that's pointless. They've got to be contributing um, to something that is important. Excellent. Really good point.
0: Um, does anybody want to add to that? That's really interesting.
1: yeah this is great keeping an mvp mindset i really like where you were going with that ethan and will um and i love um finding out where that's not happening and figuring out why and i I have a couple of notes here it's like if it takes you more than like if you're not getting into production daily if you don't have a solid test pyramid that's automated if your release pipeline is clunky, it's very hard to learn fast. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was just, it is a Ken Beck vibe, I think, which is about placing bets, which is, you know, every release, every feature, everything you're building is a bet. It's probably not going to work out. It's probably going to end up in the trash. I think 80% of all code ends up in the bin within 12 months um but what what we're doing here is we've got an idea we're going to place it we're going to place it into the customer's hands and then we're going to observe it and so now we're back to this like mvp mindset sits on top of our ability to to observe production and be thinking in production and to be in production now um and so that sits on top of things like ab test ab tooling uh feature flagging tooling um turning things on turning things off watching how customers use them using tools like uh, microsoft clarity where you can actually legit watch the customer using the app in real time and they like click a button and you're like oh that's not the button i wanted them to click let me flip that (laughs) flip it in 10 minutes and know that my bet failed and place another bet the cost of a bet is very high and maybe the last thing i'll Oh, for two more quick points uh, beyond thinking in production and observing the customer yeah. is this avoiding avoiding a hundred percent capacity, right? Like, and working within constraints. It's very hard to think outside the box if you're constantly pushing code all the time, yeah. and uh, that that sort of that grind over time stops people from having an MVP mindset. I think um so it's being mindful that the constraint of let's say 20 points per sprint shouldn't be filled up uh in my view i think there needs to be space there for smart um designing of bets etc um um i had another point but it slipped my mind anyway yeah oh, no, <laughs> that's it. awesome really good it. here it is here it is the <laughs> placing of the bets the thing is how many bets can you place this quarter is it mm. three? How many bets did you place last quarter? And mm-hmm. what I found is that last quarter we placed 10 bets. Oh, no, we placed 13 bets. Okay, cool. It's not 24 bets, which is what the team are hoping to place next quarter. It's, <laughs> it's 13 bets. So, which of the bets do you want to place? Because they're pretty expensive um, and you're not going to get all 24. So, which ones matter? Um, this is a sort of prioritization constraint, which dials mm-hmm. up that MVP mindset, which is, oh, okay, fine, can't I can't do twenty four, but what if I do this? And now we're back yeah. to minimum viable solution, product stuff, and that's that's a that's a fun exercise.
3: Just really constantly prioritise nonstop. I love that. That is it's a key yeah. piece of
0: it. Yeah, that's really really interesting. um And then, it's, like, I feel like it comes up all the time, but it's going right back to like the purpose of what the business is doing and that when you're building the software and your piece of code that you know the why isn't it behind it and yep. um, customer yeah, observability exactly. that's so important as well and kind of keeps you on track and whether where you sit in the business I think it's important that that is fostered all the way all the way through there um Absolutely. okay should be the reason you get Ethan- up in the morning yeah exactly <clears throat> Ethan do you want to add to that um kind of the MVP or how maybe you guys do the sort of prioritization piece at Credit Savvy.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Go <laughs> it, for it. It's a situation
2: <laughs> where, um, you know, you often have to talk to product people and say like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't, you know, nine women can't make a baby in one month. If you want yeah. something done, it's going to take a certain amount of time. So yep. we need to be very committed to, as you said, placing the bet right on that um Mm -hmm. and if if there's something more important then we should be doing that not this one um yeah it it's 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 never going to work out perfectly in especially when when you're scaling um so don't judge yourself too harshly but you you do have to pull back every now and then reassess say okay are we actually doing the most valuable thing um -hmm. for our customers and if we're not then time to look at how we we're, we're um prioritizing things.
0: And look, these Thanks. things change just... all the time as well, don't they? So quickly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to add just one thing in there. I think um yeah I think just the grain of salt here that needs to be taken to account is that um and I see this a lot when you there's a certain period I think of a lot of people's careers where they, they go, right, I'm gonna validate everything that I'm doing and we're gonna have research that, that backs it up. And yep. I think that that I think that there is actually a point in time where you, you've really got to go more down actually ta- taking your best and really putting that into your mindset because you're not always going to have that research. And sometimes that research, getting it, may just actually give you a negative return. So mm-hmm. whilst it, it is important to have uh, an MVP mindset and, and it's important to make sure that you're working on the most important thing, it's also important to have a culture where you're, you're comfortable taking risks. Um, taking taking educated bets on i think this is going to be important to my customers you may not always know that you may not be able to get that information it's not always crystal clear
0: Mm. and you know what will it's so important that you do that but to create a culture that allows people to do that as well is just as important where you have people that are not afraid to take the risk and you know there's fingers pointed because it's a bet and it's i think it's probably not going to happen but Allowing people yeah. to do that and not to, you know,
3: yeah. I don't know. We, we do an end of, end of week uh, wrap up and uh, we go around as many of the team that we can and we talk about what went well, what went mm-hmm. great and what went bad and how we mm. learned from it. And well, what went bad is almost always a risk that you took that just didn't pay. Yeah. You
1: yeah.
3: yeah. Because it. uh, it's important that you feel comfortable taking those risks. I'll give you an example. Someone in our team went off and bought these two random cars once and her role is not normally to buy cars her role is to sell cars Uh, but she saw an opportunity she said i'm gonna buy them i don't know how she thought she had a hundred thousand bucks to buy cars but (laughs) anyway all these two cars um and months later realized we'd bought them about eight thousand dollars more than we should have um you'd think that that was a bad thing but what we took on was that it was actually great that this individual took that on themselves to expand their own horizons and take on this piece of work. that person now looks after buying far more cars and also in the short order found a way to make up that eight thousand dollars through some awesome leasing <laughs> program that became a whole arm of our business so embrace it sometimes it looks really ugly uh um, and it may stay ugly but there are other parts of it that are really positive
0: yeah that's good mindset that's brilliant karen you've had your hand up for a few minutes Take yeah, away. Oh,
1: that's all <laughs> really interesting. Right? Just to add to that theme, I think, you are talking about research. I and mean, that took me down another rabbit hole, which said, um, <clears throat> you know, the startup versus scale-up. And I think it's knowing when the, you know, there's a <clears throat> startup scale-ups, I think, have an appetite for radical experimentation, perhaps. And startups, perhaps, have an appetite or, yeah, have an appetite or a preference for incremental delivery, perhaps. Um, and that's a different um way of thinking about what what kinds of bets are we going to place big things that uh, have big things, low investment, fine if they don't pay off startup you know or uh, bigger investment, smaller bets, shorter bets, sooner bets incremental but yeah, I mean in my experience recently, you know I've noticed sometimes we we will do, like a lot of design research um maybe even months of design research like interviewing users and like getting to know them and like showing them screens and stuff but sort of, yeah and I generally kind of shy away from that and there's a couple different things on that which is like showing people's wireframes about buying a house is really different to buying a house um the stakes go way up when it's actual with you know money and and so what I've noticed is that um, getting it into production to actually test it with customers is a really great way to really test your ideas. Um, and also back to that, you know, incremental delivery theme. Um, one of the nice things I've noticed about incremental delivery is that um, it helps you confirm your measurement. You know, it helps okay. you. Because yeah, um, it's going to actually ask, hit. how
0: do you measure? Yeah.
1: Well, that's, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of technology around whether or not conversion between, let's say, Screen 1 and Screen 4 was lifted, you know, via an A/B test or not. But if you're changing 50 screens and, like, the entire, you know, subplot of the product vision, um, then it's very hard to figure out if what you're doing how, was a success or a failure. Yeah. Um, did your bet win or did you lose? I don't know, maybe. Um, and so that's that's a problem because then you're kind of like doing a whole bunch of yeah. work and then chasing a tail to figure out if it was a win or a loss.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's a really good point. Um that's awesome. Really, really good kid Um I think that um Ethan, do you want to add more to that? No, no. Oh good. Okay, so the last point I think which is important, I know. Um it was Karen actually discussion around kind of hiring managers or the middle management side of things. Cause I know Ethan and Will, you probably are the same when, when you start to scale and build, you kind of need people um, to manage people um, or mentor and so on. So let's have a chat about that. Like how and what point in your startup, um, when you're scaling, does this transition happen? And how important is that for the business and the impact?
1: Yeah. Go ahead, well, and then I'll go, and, and then we're going to run out of time.
3: No, you go because I was just going to start with a long um while I figured out what I was going to say. So actually, see, I'm much rather <laughs> you started this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, in quotes, middle management comes with a kind of yuck reaction or a sense of like cringing, like oh my god, are we really here? But but I but I think that's kind of this. That's kind of the the question which is the scale-up question, which is how do you feel about having hiring managers? Um, It's a real challenge and and it gets to things like when. When do you hire managers? Those are really complicated. There's been a lot of research in that. Um, When is a team big enough? When does somebody have too many reports? Uh, How does a manager do the best coaching and one-on-one journey or your team how do you keep your talent um and i also i know we're going to go a few minutes so i'm just going to throw through throw a few things at the wall but it's like you know if a manager is doing a great job it seems like you don't need them basically it's yeah. sort of like a mass you think of it like a national park there's people who go out to national parks and they tweak you know, the the earth or the waterways, they plant seeds, they cultivate an environment in which people can take risks, they can learn, they can reflect on what they're doing, they can step away mm-hmm. and innovate. And ultimately they can get to an environment where they can do the best work of their lives. That's not gonna happen on its own. Not if you threw 30 people in a room or hundred people in a room, that's not gonna happen unless somebody's focusing in on enabling that. School doesn't teach us how to f- fix that problem. And and I, I think that's one of the challenges that we get. And by the way, this doesn't, I think this sidesteps your theme for this podcast a little bit, which is how do you build a great startup ready for scale-up? This theme is not that. This theme is about, you know, once you've gone through the first early stages of scale-up and things are going yeah. up, um, you know, how do you come to terms with, empowering, enabling, hiring the right managers, and how do you get them to turn the weekly one-on-one ceremony into the most valuable time of the week for everyone? Um mm-hmm. and so anyway, I'm sort of really interested in this space. I think it's the untapped um accelerator in our yeah. industry. I think it's the 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 most under yep focused underserved space and i'm kind of keen to work on it anyway i'll hand off thanks yeah
0: no i actually agree with you as well um but yeah will and ethan tell, tell us what you're thinking around this specific topic
3: it'd be bad if i started with an um with that uh <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> not at um, all i'm pretty sure i do it all the time <laughs> go for I'll it look,
3: uh, i think just as we wrap it up i think um, think there's there's a couple of things that I'd just like to to leave. One, if that's okay. Um, yeah. So, so look, I think I I think if you if you early on just adopt a concept of I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna build a team that that is completely aligned with with where this business is heading, the mission of the, the purpose of it. Build that in. uh You'll get to a point where you go, all right. I'm not gonna build a team that has layers of management and and yeah and to be honest i've, I've been at a point where we ha- i had to make that decision i've actually made it twice in in Lyra's period of time now um and went through a period where we probably ran a little bit too early at one point and made it absolutely way too late at another um yeah and,
0: and, there you go i'd <laughs> love to say this is
3: really <laughs> clear um and and look there was ups and downs to both of those right but the uh, the key thing here is that when when you do get that right and you have that layer in there, it, it, it should enable you to do far more than you currently are. Um, and and it is so obvious when you get that right. Um, I, I can just say now, I'm actually right now sitting uh, on a holiday, which I hadn't done for ages, in Nelson, in New Zealand. And I have a really oh cool God, view, but I wish this was a video <laughs> podcast. I could show you guys. Um,
0: we we and, will make this a video able- podcast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, that's it. i would not have been able to do that if i hadn't had made that decision at the right point in time um and, yes. and on, the, on the side of that um the, the business wouldn't have grown in the right direction mm. um so so i don't think it's clear and i wish i had a crystal ball to be able to tell you that this is the point in time where you add a layer of middle management i can't i can't tell you um yeah. i'd absolutely tell you you'll know when you haven't done it um, mm. it hurts
0: um, and I'd say just, it probably comes down to the person as well, isn't it? Who who, yeah, it who does. Are you hiring? It,
3: yeah, exactly. And and I think um, this is where that that hiring process when you do take them on. I think there's there there is an element where you're hiring the right skills, um, yeah. but it it is far more about hiring the right person and making sure that they're aligned with with where you want to head this, this business. Hundred uh, percent. That's that's key to it.
0: Completely agree on that. Um, I know that this is something that I say all the time, but, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave managers, they leave people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think probably what, what you've got, probably gone through, like you've, you've hired the wrong times and so on, but it also timing is also the right person as well. You yeah. know, and that person yeah. could have came in any of those instances, but it's the right person as well, I think, um, which yeah. there is no good right timing for. <laughs> uh, yeah, essentially, yeah, exactly. but really interesting
3: point Crazy
0: thing. yeah so, it really is an
3: easy
0: one <laughs> yeah um anyone else want to add to this this last point guys oh what no bill no, i mean
1: i i would love to <laughs> i have a whole bunch of stuff around here, really, yeah
0: so time like, is up when
1: where <laughs> organizations have added managers and things, but we don't have time for that. And I just, maybe I need to wrap because we have time and I wanted to thank you, Shauna, for setting this up and
0: Not thank at all. You know,
1: everyone else. You know, really nice to meet you and I'm keen to catch up again.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I yeah. think this is a really good topic, um, a very valuable topic. A lot of people constantly scratching their heads about. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, we should definitely maybe maybe do a second episode if you like as well happy to do that but I think for yeah. now um, we'll leave it there and um, I do want to thank you all for joining this specific podcast today and providing such interest and insights around and such a relevant topic for today's senior leaders on how to scale your startup so thank you all for listening and I look forward to catching you all in the next Even Exchange podcast